10,000 people a day in the United States alone turning 65. There are lots of options to consider, um, maybe depending on the kind of work you do. And I think that the nature of retirement is changing. Those days of 65 and out with a gold watch um, are behind us. It's time for the My Retirement Clarity Podcast with Lee Perkins, financial planner and president of JL Perkins Wealth Management. Get ready for a good dose of inspiration, simplicity, implementation, and of course, clarity on how to successfully prepare for retirement and grow and preserve your wealth. Here's Ben George with Lee Perkins. Welcome into the My Retirement Clarity Podcast. As always, I am your host, Lee Perkins, and I've got a very special guest on the, the show today. His name is Steve Lopez. Steve is a journalist for the LA Times, and he's about to release a brand new book on retirement. And so that's what that's why I really wanted to have him on the show today and talk about it. So Steve, welcome in. Glad to have you here. Oh, I'm so happy to be with you this morning. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Um, and, and I really wanted to have you on today because I think a lot of what you talk about in your book is going to resonate with this audience. And so for people that listen to the podcast all the time, I think they'll see sort of a common theme of, of what your book is and some of the things that I talk about here every single week. So the title of the book is Independence Day, what I learned about retirement from some who've done it and some who never will. So there's a, a lot to unpack here, of course, but before we sort of jump in, um, I'd like for you to maybe give the folks who are listening to the show just a little bit of background on, on yourself and, and your career as, as a journalist out on the, uh, out on the West Coast. Uh, Lee, let me tell you, I'm coming up on 70 years old here. Um, I've got a, a birthday this week that's gonna push me uh, one more click closer to that. Um, and um, I have worked for a half a century. It's kind of it's kind of uh, uh, scary to say that I've worked for half a century. One thing it tells you is that uh, I'm not going to be working for another half a century. I'm nearing the end of the trail, and um, I have worked on both coasts. Actually, I grew up in California, but made a move to the East Coast. Worked at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, up in Pennsylvania for many years and worked for Time Magazine. I wrote a column there for four years, working for Sports Illustrated and um, Life Magazine. Uh, I bounced around a little bit and uh, mostly as a newspaper columnist, uh, along with that stint at Time Magazine. But uh, here I am, uh, you know, thinking about when it's time to, to pull the plug yeah. And uh, that's what uh, that's what uh, got me into this. This uh, I spent a year trying to figure out whether it was time and how do you even decide. The book is about how do you even know when and what are the things you need to consider. Yeah. So you know, I guess you kind of talk. You'll talk a little bit about the the motivation for for behind writing the book in the first place. I mean, is this something that you've sort of always thought about, or is this something that you've just really thought about in the last few years have you, as you've been sort of knocking on the door of, of 70? Well, I'll tell you what, I've been thinking for quite a while because um, if you work in the newspaper business, um, the industry is just um, shedding jobs by the thousands and has been for, for several years. And I, I saw many colleagues, you know, forced out through um, staff reductions and I saw others 
have to make that tough decision about whether now is the time to take that buyout offer. Um, as you know, a lot of companies, when they when they want to cut costs, offer buyouts, which is um, you know a way for them to to get rid of salaries. Those deals are most attractive to longer term employees because they're usually at a higher salary. And so the companies are interested in, in shutting those bigger salaries. Um, and so I've, I've, I've been through so many rounds of, um, you know, buyout offers that every time it came around, beginning was when I was in my early 60s, I thought, well, gee, maybe now's the time. You get paid, um, you know, several months. In my case, it would be almost a year. Um, and maybe you can jump to another job and put that money away, or maybe just just take that 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 money and go off and do the things you always wanted to do. So I was talking to my book agent right before the pandemic hit really hard. And we've been friends for 25 years. And we were both talking about those those issues. And we were talking about the fact that so many of our peers are having that same conversation. Is now the time to go? And for me, the question was, I've been doing this for you know, half half a century, that's who I am. And right. when I leave that, um, what am I leaving behind and what am I walking into? I've had a quasi-public life as a columnist weighing in on the issues of the day, and it keeps me engaged in my community. It keeps me on my toes. It keeps me fresh. Um, and so I felt like I wasn't quite sure what I would do if I left that behind or whether I would be happy. And that book agent of mine, David Black, said, why don't you do what you do? You interview people. You, you, know, you do a little research. Why don't you spend a year, give yourself a one-year deadline for making a decision on whether to retire and interview people? So I did. I interviewed dozens of people from happily retired to miserably retired to wishing they could do it to regretting that they had. And every time I uh, interviewed somebody, I thought, yeah, that's the answer. That's what I'll do. So during the course of the year in the book, I kind of, you know, I, I turned left and then I turned right and I'm not sure where to go. And it, it did take almost a full year for me to figure out what my answer was. Got it. OK, so I've got a few things that I'll ask you a little bit later on in the podcast about sort of that that psychological or emotional struggle to pull the trigger now or wait a little bit later. But I wanted to, to quickly touch on, on something. Um, it's, it's kind of odd because one of the things that you and I have in common is that we've we've both got kids that that just started college. Uh, I think your daughter, Caroline, is probably the same age as my son, Walker. And, and we both recently went through a similar experience with, with taking them and dropping them off at college. Uh, one of the, the differences, though, is that you were actually closer to my age when your, your daughter was born. And so now you're, you find yourself in this unique position that a lot of people eventually do, you know, kind of being an empty nester in their, their late 60s. Um, I guess two things. How, how is she doing at school right now, away, being away from, from home? And then how is it right now being an empty nester for the first time? Oh, Lee, I love that you asked this because my, my wife and I discuss this pretty much every day. <laughs> we're, we're, we're together in the house here, my wife and I, and we so miss our daughter. We're in California. She's going to school in Ohio. And I, it was not easy. It was not easy. I, I, I had been married once before and had kids, um, got married again and had uh, Caroline, as you say. 
And what that meant, uh, Lee, was that uh, I was a parent with a kid in the house for a long time. Um, you know, my, my, the age range was 19, is 19 to 43. And so um, when it came time to, to say goodbye to her, it was hard for my wife and I to do. You know, um, I was kind of a blubbering baby about it. <laughs> right. I did. But, but what can you do? I mean, it's, it's the natural course and you raise your children to become independent and to go off and discover the world. So I knew that it had to happen. It was just that uh, as an older dad, I knew I was going to miss her so much. And I'll tell you what, another thing, Lee, it figured into, she's doing well, by the way. Thank you for asking. She, she is at uh, Denison University in Ohio, where she plays on the women's tennis team. She gets involved in everything there on campus. She's a radio DJ um, on, the, on the campus radio station. Um, we go to watch tennis matches and visit her as often as we can. Um, I'll tell you what, though, when, when I was contemplating retirement, I was looking at what in my mind would have been a double void, if I can be selfish about it and tell you about my own journey through this, this whole thing. It was, if I retire, it'll be at about the same time that my daughter leaves for college. And I will be facing, um, the, I will be dealing with an empty nest at the same time I don't have a job to go to. Right. And I thought just one of those is going to be difficult for me to adjust to. One of the things I learned about in writing this book and talking to experts and to just ordinary people is that retirement is a bigger transition um, than many people consider. It changes your relationships all around. And I thought, Am I really prepared to have that much extra time in a day with my daughter gone to college, you know, 2,500 miles away and no, and no job to report to? And um, there were some wise people who counseled me on that and said, you know, maybe you want to try one of those, um, but not <laughs> both at the same time. And that, that was really good advice. I, I, I will say I just got great advice from many of the people that I spoke to. So anyhow, we're a year into that, Lee. My daughter went off to college a year ago. She's now starting her uh, sophomore year. Okay. And I still have not gotten used to the empty nest. I'm a big baby about it. I got it. Okay, so your daughter is a year a year older than my son, Walker, who is a freshman in college. So, yeah, but I understand the emotional kind of the turmoil inside because, you know, people ask us, hey, did y'all ball coming back from Statesboro, Georgia? And, and I didn't. I, I'm, I was sad. I'm going to miss him. But man, more than anything, I, I'm jealous because I can remember, <laughs> I mean, I can remember my parents dropping me off at college and just what I had ahead. And so it's, you know, it's kind of a, you know, two sided thing. I'm sad, but yeah, I'm, I'm super happy for him. So now talking about the, the two transitions, I know you, you mentioned that your wife, Allison, um, she works from home. And, and you tell a story in the book about during COVID, of course, you know, the whole world, world was pretty much forced to work from home as, as you did. Um, and of course, that was an adjustment for you and a little bit of a, a test run for retirement, so to speak. Um, yeah. Just to kind of see if you could be in the same house a whole lot yeah. more than you, nor than you normally are. So tell me a little bit about how that went. Yeah, well, my wife is a freelance writer who... Um, has um, for most of the last 25 years done that work from home. And uh, we are not living in a uh, Malibu beach compound, uh, sprawling estate with, uh, you know, eight bedrooms and six bathrooms. I thought, that's, 
I thought that's how what everybody lived in in California. We picture everybody living on the beach in a gigantic house. That's not you. I missed out on that. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But anyhow, we're in a we're in a two bedroom house that is uh, perfectly nice. We're happy. We love our house, but. There's not an office. There's not an office in the house. There's kind of a little alcove. I'm looking at it right now in my uh, in the den. But um, so COVID hits and our office was closed. Um, the L.A. Times is owned by a doctor, uh, Patrick Soon Shong, who thought it was unwise for us to uh, to gather in the office. Um, uh, so, you know, people were told to work from the road, work from home. And that's what I started to do as I was researching this book. And it meant, and that's one of those adjustments that, that people sometimes don't anticipate when they uh, pull that cord and jump into retirement. Right. It's like, you've got to rearrange, you've got to, you've got to figure out how to spend more time with somebody and also how to leave them their space. Allison is a very uh, independent person who over the course of 25 years, uh, had her routines down, and she she sure didn't need me disrupting those routines. She also happens to be, um, you know, several years younger than I am, so she's not ready for retirement and uh, didn't know that she was, you know, eager to live with a retiree uh, bumping into her, and in, you know, in the kitchen every every uh, every hour as we went to refill our coffee cups. And so I said to her one day when I was feeling pretty good about, you know, my new freedom to, to work from home and, you know, go out in the backyard, maybe on a nice sunny day and tap out a column on my computer and then go back into the house. And I said, you know, this is uh, this is pretty good deal here. It's almost like a preview of the pandemic. And Allison said to me, if this is a preview I do not want to see that movie. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it was us. her way of saying, and, and she also said to me, I'm not, don't count on me being here for you um, to go out and do stuff in your retirement. You got to build your own life, deal with your own friends and, uh, you know, make it work uh, with that in consideration that I'm not retired and I still got my life, my friends, and uh, I'm not going to be your full-time buddy here. Exactly. And the whole reason I brought that up, I saw that exact same thing with my parents. It was a, a little bit different, uh, difficult of a transition because my dad retired before my mom did. And so it, it was tough. It, it took them a little while to to get into a routine where they could both do that. So no, that's that's a great, great story. I, I like that. She, If this is a preview, I don't want to see the, the whole movie. So um, <laughs> Another thing you talked about early on, uh, it might have been in the first or second chapter of the book, when you were sort of contemplating when to retire, and you listed a couple of pros and a, a couple of cons as you know retiring sooner rather than later. And, and the second one on the pro column, it really kind of resonated, resonated with me because I, I hear clients talk about this, and I talk about it to them all the time, too, is you said you want to retire and be young enough and healthy enough to enjoy this. Um, so I guess, why is this important to you? Have you seen relatives or other people that waited too long to retire? Oh my goodness. You know, those stories are, um, those stories are, uh, um, I, I just, I hear them all the time. I mean, maybe because as a journalist, um, 
I'm in touch with a lot of people, but those tragic cases of somebody who waited, waited, waited for retirement and a week later, you know, gets diagnosed with um, some horrible disease yeah. um, or, you know, um, there's the, the fear of cognitive loss that so many people at my age begin to experience. And I was I was really quite concerned about, um, you know, uh, I love my job. I feel honored and privileged to be able to do it. And um, in some ways, I don't think of it as work. Um, getting to meet people and learn from their experiences doesn't always seem like work, but it's a hustle. It's a hustle. And, you know, sometimes you're a little bit tired when you when you approach 70 and you get out of bed and different things hurt. And I thought, you know, I've seen the trajectory of my parents who um, I guess, you know, the genetically were on the same calendar. My parents developed joint disease, heart disease, and cognitive issues. And I have been developing all of those things just like they did. And yeah. they, lived, they, get, they lived good long lives into their middle 80s, but they were not healthy for, I'd say, the last 10 years or so. So you start to do the math on that. And Harry, I'm coming up on 70, and I don't remember my parents after their early 70s, mid-70s, being healthy enough to do all of the kinds of things that I've been waiting 50 years to do. And I also had my own issues. Um, yeah. 10 years ago, um, I could barely walk and I needed two knee replacements. Um, you know, I'm, in the, I'm in the joint replacement phase of my life. I, I had to replace two knees and I had a little mishap, Lee, when I went into the hospital for the first one in post-op. I mean, the, the surgery was fine. The new knee was great. But my heart stopped. I went into cardiac arrest. I had to be uh, resuscitated. So I left the hospital with a new knee and a pacemaker. I argued that I shouldn't have to pay for the pacemaker because <laughs> I, only, I only went in for a knee. But they built me for both. And anyhow, I have uh, since uh, developed uh, uh, AFib, atrial fibrillation. Right. So my, my, heart, my heart diagnosis is not great. And um, I stay active and try to eat reasonably well. But um, I'm very much concerned about waiting too long to go to recess. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've been in class for 50 years. I, I wonder if I'm going to miss out on recess by waiting too long. And the, the fear of finally checking out and um, going, you know, going off on my dream trip but being a little foggy about my wife's name, it's just been a, a terrifying notion and something that I've really wrestled with um, in that year when I tried to figure out how to know when to go. Yeah. Yeah. My parents tell me all the time that getting old stinks. And, and anytime they hear me complaining about some kind of ache or pain, they, they always say the same thing. They're, they're like, you just wait. So and I, you kind of answered one of the questions I was going to talk about was was going in for the knee surgery and then then having the the heart problem and basically dying as you tell the story in, in the in the in the book. So how how did that near death experience change your outlook or your perspective going going forward? Was it just hey we're not promised any day so live it while you can? Yeah, you know what, Lee? I just thought of a better title for the book. Um, talking to you about this. I'm back from the dead. What do I do now? Um, <laughs> Maybe that so, can be this. Yeah, that can be a sequel. 
That could, I should have done that. I'm also thinking about doing a, a book on being an empty nester um, because there's so many of us. Um, yes, you know what? It gave me this. Um, it's certainly a uh, um, you know a, a mortality um, check. You're kind of slapped in the face. Um, I woke up not knowing that I had been in cardiac arrest and doctors and nurses looking at me. And then you think, wow, and most people don't come back from cardiac arrest. The statistics are not good. Even if you go into cardiac arrest in a hospital, the statistics are not good. And um, I, I really thought long and hard about, um, you know, what it, it, we're, on, we're, we're on borrowed time us, and we don't know what's coming our way. It's amazing to me as a journalist for 50 years who unfortunately has, has, has written often about loss, um, tragedies. People can get taken out in ways they hadn't even imagined. And um, I, I, I was very much concerned about that and about how through my decision-making process, a friend of mine who was almost exactly my age, I think we were about a week off, died unexpectedly, um, sudden cardiac arrest. And I thought, here it is, here it is. And this is what could happen to me um, at any moment and on any day, especially given my heart issues. And um, if... If you're aware, um, acutely aware, as I was made acutely aware by his death, um, that it could happen any moment, what do you do with the next moment in your life? And what do you do next week and next month? And um, I was pretty sure at that point in the book, halfway through the book, that uh, my friend Tom's death meant that I had to, I had to check out. I had to, I had to, right. <laughs> I had to take what time I might have left and, 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 and go through that list of things I wanted to do. The more I thought about it, the more that sank in. Um, Tom was somebody who, like me, loved what he did for a living. Um, he was an elected official who got termed out. He had no choice about retirement, but um, he loved what he did. And he was the job that he did. He was, his identity was so caught up in uh, serving people, uh, he relished it. He went above and beyond. And um, I thought, well, is it possible that not being able to do that got to him? Might I leave a job that I have loved and kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, not know what next? And might I um, kind of mentally and emotionally uh, begin to deteriorate a bit because engaged in the thing that kept me going all those years. So I, I went from thinking that um, that death was was my answer, that it was time to quit and enjoy the rest of my life, to, to thinking, um, thinking about it the other way. Um, maybe it means that if you got something you love, why not keep doing it? And there was another guy exactly my age in the book, a, a Father Gregory Boyle, who's a priest in um, Los Angeles and has dedicated his life to trying to help young men who and women who are trying to turn their lives around. Right. And um, he said to me that he, he would retire <laughs> in the graveyard and not one day before they shipped him there because what is life but finding um, relevance? But, you know, for him, it was like, this connects me to God. It connects me to my community. Um, this keeps me alive, and um, I'm, I'm the moment I stop doing it, I'm dying. And so, um, I, I, the people who made those arguments, 
I'm somebody <laughs> impressed by the last person I spoke to. And so I'd speak to, uh, you know, somebody like Father Greg and think, well, I guess I better just keep writing columns until they carry me. <laughs> right. <laughs> until they carry me away in the hearse. I found so many arguments for either retiring or not retiring really compelling. And uh, sometimes it, it helped. It, it was a bit of a breakthrough as I saw something in a new light. And other times during the writing of the book, I felt a little more burdened about what was right for me. Got it. So I want to come back to the the kind of that subject you were just talking about of, of relevance once you retired. But while we're on the topic of death, just a quick question here for you. And, and maybe because we're talking about that, it's a good time to bring up your thoughts on Social Security. Uh, it's a, a topic or a subject that people ask me about all the time. And they want to know if they should draw early versus let it, you know, let it grow and, and draw it later. And my thoughts on this have changed significantly over the last seven years. So just quickly, what, what are your thoughts on the whole take it early versus later debate? Well, Lee, I will, I will be happy to answer your question with one caveat. I know nothing about money. <laughs> I, I know nothing about money and money management. And um, I, thought, I thought, well, writing this book, um, people, you know, because, um, um, you know, is such a big and important part of that equation in deciding whether to retire. And um, I I would like to think that I'm in decent enough shape to get by in retirement, and yet um, I'm not smart enough to know uh, whether I'm right about that. And I I, I had friends who, who uh, my plan, my plan, I'll tell you what, on Social Security, was to wait until I took the maximum payment. Um, because I'm getting paid, um, right. because I'm employed, yep. I don't need the money. So why not wait until it's a bigger, it's a bigger paycheck? Um, and then I had friends say, "Well, that's not that's not the way to do this." You know, I, I've got a friend who began taking as early as he could, and when I said why, and he said, "How long do you think you're going to live?" And I said, "I have no idea." And he said, "Well, they've got it figured out over the Social Security Administration. They know." They know statistically when you're going to die and you're going to end up with the same amount of money over the many years, whether you die, you know, he said, if you, if you wait, you're going to have to live beyond, I think the number that he gave me was something in the early eighties. And he said, how do you know you're going to live into your early eighties? And I said, well, I have no idea. And he said, then take it. The the federal government is saying here is some free money, Steve, would you like us to begin sending it to you every month? Or are you going to say no to that free money? And he took it. He said, you're damn right. I want that free money. Send it to me. And if you don't need it, well, then so what? Take it and invest it. You know, I don't know what you would invest it in these days. Again, that's not my area of expertise. Right. But his, his argument and that of many other people was, you're probably going to end up with the same amount of money anyway, unless you live to be 90, 95, and you waited for that maximum Social Security payout. Right. In my case, I did not take it, and and I'm I'm uh, you're speaking to me, Lee. Um, what is it? Three days before I turn sixty nine, and so my plan is to wait uh, one more year right. and take the maximum. But my friend, my friend Greg, who argued it the other way, could turn out to be right. I mean, I I, I might not make it seventy yeah. years old, and look at what I've done. I've given I've taken a pass on all that free money. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the reasons I, I asked that question, because it is different for everybody. And if you're working and you don't need the money, 
you know, that's fine. And your, your, your thoughts on it are great. But I thought some of the things that you talked about on reading sort of that social security pamphlet, it was a, it was pretty funny commentary to me. And basically they put all this time and energy and effort into making this big old pamphlet. And you're like, none of it's helpful, <laughs> you know, but because we don't know when we're going to die. So anyway, I thought that was a pretty interesting thing. Hey there, sorry to interrupt the show, but I wanted to take just a quick second to tell you about our new e-newsletter called Uncommon Sense. Now I know the last thing you probably want is another email from a financial firm giving you the same old industry jargon that every brokerage firm out there gives you. I get it. Nobody wants that stuff because it's boring, but our newsletter is anything but boring. Information plus entertainment is infotainment, and that's the goal. And that's what Uncommon Sense is. So we want to inform you in a very entertaining way so you'll get stories of how financial planning works in the real world and not some corporate boardroom of a Wall Street firm. You'll also get access to a lot of other great resources. So just head on over to our website, www.myretirementclarity.com and click on the Uncommon Sense logo. Just put in a good email address and you'll be good to go. Now, back to the show. Uh, I want to transition real quickly to some of the the research that you did for the book. I, I know you talked to a lot of people. Um, how many people do you think you interviewed and and how did you decide on who to actually interview for the book? Well, I wanted uh, people from normal, you know, average jobs, uh, you know, average walk of life kind of thing. I, I got an idea. Yeah, early on that uh, might I thought might serve me well, and it was a good call. Um, we have a gigantic retirement community in Southern California, um, a leisure world uh, residential facility, uh, not far from the beach in Southern California. I uh, they have a community newspaper, and I asked them if I I, I think there's something like I don't know maybe ten thousand people live there. Almost all of them retirees. Some of them are still working. But they're seniors, and um, I asked them if I could write a column for their community newspaper saying that I was thinking about retirement and I was looking for advice from experts, people who had retired or who had decided not to retire. Right. And it was a good idea because, um, especially with the retirees, they had time on their hands, and they wrote me just great um, little essays and um, vignettes, and I got so many of them that I couldn't use most of them. Um, and I learned a lot from those. And, and I learned, too, um, about the range of experiences. Um, and, you know, let's be honest, uh, retirement is fraught with things that could go wrong, health issues, medical bills that you did not anticipate, death. You know, you lose your spouse that you finally retired to, to spend the rest of your life with. Uh, unexpected things with children who might need financial help or with grandchildren um, and also um, miscalculations about uh, the retirement income, um, watching nest eggs shrink with dips in the market too heavily invested in the markets. And I saw every um, just total paradise happiness to um, isolation depression, disappointment, um, and uh, no way out. So I got a little bit of everything. And um, I think that uh, one person at Leisure World made a really good point. He said that nobody that he knew at Leisure World had a retirement that had worked out the way that they planned. 
And, and what I took from that is that you just don't know what's coming your way. And don't think that if you get things all figured out about your retirement, that uh, you're in the clear and you're just going to sail through with your with your handy little plan um, in your pocket. Uh, things change. Um, you know, the woman who became one of my muses in this book, a 90 plus year old in Florida by the name of Nancy Schlossberg, had no idea that when she left her job as a professor at the University of Maryland and moved with her husband and a down to uh, Sarasota, uh, which had been a vacation destination. She had no idea that she would lose him as soon as she did. Right. There she was in a community that um, where she didn't know a lot of people, and she was retired, and she lost her husband. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are the kinds of things that come at you that you, you don't anticipate, and nor did she anticipate that she'd fall in love at that age and start over and have another re- or that she'd lose that, or that she'd lose that man. It's, um, you know, and, and while I was interviewing her on the phone, we couldn't get together because of COVID, but she's talking about losing her husband and then losing the second man in her life. And while we're talking, the phone beeps and she has to interrupt it and take the call. And she's, she gets back on me and says, I'm sorry, I got to take this. It's my boyfriend calling. <laughs> so, so, Retirement, you must you must anticipate, I think, this is my advice to anybody, you must anticipate surprises in retirement, and you must anticipate that some of them will be good ones and some of them will be uh, difficult ones, and um, and that's, that's the way it is um, here on out. Definitely. It, retirement is definitely a winding road, and you don't know where the next turn leads you. Uh, you talked about a uh, conversation with one of your friends, Jim Ritchie. Am I saying his last name right? That's um, correct. Yes, you got it. So he, he, he was a fellow writer and I think a, a good friend of yours. And um, you, I think he retired years ago and you reached out to him for some, some wisdom from him based on his experience. And he talked about the loss of identity uh, in the eyes of others. And, and it really, to me, it makes sense because a lot of people, while they're working, they're, you know, they're important because people rely on them. They need them for something at work. And now all of a sudden, when you're in retirement, nobody at work needs you. Uh, and you come home and you got a, a new boss. Uh, so what did you learn in your conversations, maybe with Jim and with others about this desire to still matter once you retire? Yeah, Lee, you know what? Um, I want to, I want to thank you for, um, you know, you do you do these interviews. Uh, some people who uh, did not read the book or were not into the book. Um, I really, really appreciate the questions you're asking, and um, I, I love the the um, assortment of questions that you're throwing yeah. at me. And I love what you took from the book. Uh, Jim Ritchie is indeed a good friend, and um, I watched him and envied him. Jim and I have a couple of other friends. For the most part, it's a threesome that I sometimes join as the fourth party. They're all a little bit older than me, but not much. And they'd be going off on weekend outings to do this or that. And I really envied it and wanted to be with them. And I asked Jim, um, who had retired, as you say, several years uh, ago, what it was like. And he, he said that, yeah, that loss of identity in the eyes of us was a bit of adjust- an adjustment. He, he, got, he got beyond it. Let me get back to Nancy, the woman in Florida who talks about transition. And, and you know, what she said is that um, in, in her studies, 
she does seminars. She uh, she works with people about to retire, tells them what to think about, what to look for. Um, that what she has found in her studies of retirees is that there's a human instinct to matter. And if you know matter, if I no longer matter to the readers of the Los Angeles Times because other columnists are weighing in on the issues of the day, well, who am I going to matter to? And that's something that I, I gave a lot of thought to. And, and Nancy, as Nancy put it, that could be there could be a lot of answers to that question. You you maybe you matter to your dog or your cat, um, but there's a purpose to your life and structure. You wake up and the dog is ready to eat and ready to go out back and ready to go for a walk. And he needs you. Um, he's not going to go over and get the uh, the Purina dog chow and pour a bowl of it himself. You're needed. And that's important. And right. um, you may find that you, you are relevant and you matter because it's maybe more than just the dog or the cat. Your son or daughter needs you to help out with the grandkids one day. Um, they've got to go run an errand or something, and um, you want to matter to your your children and your grandchildren. Maybe you matter to the young writers that you're mentoring if you've had a career in journalism or as a writer. Maybe you matter because you join the board of some nonprofit that does good work that you care about. But you need something, and there are those who retire to the couch, and I suppose there are those who on that couch get a lot of pleasure out of what, what comes up next on the uh, television or what the next bag of uh, chips, um, you know, whatever you reach for next. But yeah. most want to have something going on. And um, so for Jim, uh, Richie, um, it was, you know, um, being there for his son, being there for his daughter. Jim in retirement had more time to take his son, Nick, to um, you know, to, to to baseball games and to baseball practice. I think we all need something. We all have something to do. I got some very good advice on this, Lee, uh, uh, from a rabbi in Los Angeles by the name of Naomi Levy. And what Naomi said was that uh, we structure should not be um, underestimated. And when you're working, whether you even whether you like your job or not, you're structured. You got routines. But, um, the, she she told me a story about a, 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 a you know a congregant who came to her and said, "I don't know what it is. Monday through Friday, I feel okay. On the weekends, I just sink, like I don't know what to do with my." And she 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 diagnosed him as somebody who needs structure and needs you know something to do on the weekends. And I think I'm a person who needs structure. And when I don't have it, and I don't have something to do. I get jittery. I get nervous. And um, uh, she said, um, if you think that in retirement, what you want to do is serve on that nonprofit board or mentor child, the young writer or mathematician or whatever it is, um, if you think you want to learn how to fly a plane or play the guitar or learn how to knit, you should clear out some now while you're still working either on weekends or maybe on your next vacation to go and do a bunch of whatever that is you think you're going to do in retirement to test it out, give it a test drive and, um, you know, make sure that that's going to provide the structure, the fulfillment, the, the mattering that you're going to need as a human being when you walk away from your job. That's, that is 
she gave you golden advice there. That, that's awesome. All right. So, so you started, we're, we're kind of getting a little bit towards the end here. You started writing this book back in 2020. So it's now the fourth quarter of 2022. Uh, the book comes out November the 1st. So to me, it seems like December 31st of this year would be a pretty logical time for, for you to punch the clock for the final time. So the question that the audience may have, um, and I know the answer because I've read the book, the question that they may have is, have, have you retired yet? Or do people, do they need to get the book to find out? Well, Lee, am I allowed to say they must buy the book to find out and that <laughs> it makes an excellent, uh, it makes an excellent holiday gift for uh, the 10 or 15 people in your family who might be considering retirement. Yeah. Um, I, um, I, I was, um, I was very stressed. When I went to Mel Brooks and Norman Lear, a couple of legends in Hollywood to find out whether, um, why are they working in their nineties? Is it because uh, working in a creative field is oxygen and you need it to stay alive? And is that going to be true for me? You know, I, I think it was Mel Brooks who, who came up with the hybrid plan. Um, it's not revolutionary, but he said, if you love your job and you really are feel like you're missing out on all these things, you want to live in, I don't know, live in Spain for a year and learn how to flamenco dance or whatever you think you're going to do. Right. Why don't you uh, go to the L.A. Times and say, hey, I want to keep doing this, but not so much. Can I can I be a part timer? And so his advice was uh, try to find a way to if you can work it out, enjoy the best of both worlds. So I am. Still on the uh, payroll at the LA Times, but I don't I don't work as much. I have time built in so that I can get on a plane and go see that daughter of mine in college, um, and go with uh, Alice and my wife uh, to do some of these trips we've been dreaming about. So the hybrid plan is not a bad way to go. And in this age right now, Lee, I think that retirement is a um, offering many options. You've got employers who want retirees back because of the work shortage, right. because of the pandemic. Um, and there's no longer the need to, to take a long and nasty commute. So if you're, you know, 60 or 70 or 80 and they need you, maybe you can uh, share your experience, wisdom remotely, which is not such a bad deal and earn some money. Companies are more interested in flex time. I think this is a good time to be riding the boomer wave as it crests with 10,000 people a day in the United States alone turning 65. There are lots of options to consider, um, maybe depending on the kind of work you do. And I think that the nature of retirement is changing. Those days of 65 and out with a gold watch um, are behind us and also working for one employer on the same schedule. That's all behind us. So I think people who have the ability can kind of craft their own, you know, retirement or semi-retirement uh, courses. And um, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Yep. I think you are spot on there. Retirement today is way different than it was even five years ago or, or two years ago before COVID started. So definitely a lot more flexibility and, and ways that you can ease in into retirement. So um, Steve, I think the book is, is really pretty fascinating. There's, there's some funny parts in there. Um, you're a witty guy, and that comes across um, in several places in the book. Um, so, who is this book for? Is it you know kind of who is the intended audience? Is it is it that person who's contemplating retirement for the first time, or kind of thinking about it, or could it be helpful for somebody who may have a, a parent that's thinking about it? 
I, I think the book would be most identifiable for somebody who's been who's beginning to think about retirement. And I think in some ways the book is a bit of a guide to what things you need to consider that you might not have thought about to really visualize what your your next life is is going to be like. Um, I think that uh, anybody helping parents through this situation can learn from the book and also begin pulling their own thoughts together about uh, their 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 planning their retirement planning. And um, I think also, um, given the nature of work today and the number of people who um, are being forced to go back to work because they lost investments and because the opportunity might be there because uh, employers have lost so much staff um, and jobs are going unfulfilled. I think it could be for people who are wondering about making that transition right. back to work because um, as I said, there, 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 there are no rules today. So I think that the book uh, could could be useful for a number of different people. It's also full of just interesting stories, if I, you know, if you don't mind my saying so, about people. I think it's interesting to see how people have looked at retirement and what they've done with their lives. I mean, there's a friend of mine in the book who's now 109, and he gave me his thoughts on life and the meaning of life. And I think it's just fun for people to read about uh, folks like my friend Maury Markoff, who I met because um, he emailed me when I wrote about having uh, died during knee surgery to say, welcome to the Back from the Dead Club. The same thing <laughs> happened to me. Let's get together and talk about what we're going to do with our lives. So there's a lot of fun stuff in the book. It's not all just uh, sort of an academic look um, at uh um, you know, what comes next. It's, uh, there are a lot of people uh, telling a lot of good stories. Exactly. Um, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I know our listeners have enjoyed it too. Is there anything else you kind of want to touch on before we wrap up here today? I would just uh, like to say that, uh, um, you know, to put an accent on that, um, uh, be, be, be aware that um, there's just going to be quite a few surprises in retirement. Let's just hope that there are more ones than bad. Uh, reading this book might help you prepare for both. Um, anybody interested in getting the book can find it. Um, you know, you can go into your local bookstore and uh, tell them you want to order it. Um, you can go on Amazon if that works for you. Anybody who has questions for me can always reach me at steve.lopez, S-T-E-V-E dot L-O-P-E-Z at latimes.com. I'm at at LAT Steve Lopez on Twitter. You can easily find me on Facebook. Um, and um, I hope on Facebook to begin to post responses that people are having to the book and keep this conversation going. I don't want this to be a one and done on the subject of retirement because I'm headed down that road and may write a few more times about it. Yep, absolutely. Well, the book comes out November the 1st. Uh, Steve told you how you can get a copy of it at Amazon or your local bookstore. Ask them to order it. They'll get it in for you. Uh, Steve, I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, maybe we'll we'll have you back on again one day once you've fully transitioned. Um, we'll kind of see how you are. Maybe at that point you'll have the uh, what I did after I died the first time book or whatever whatever that, that title was that you talked about earlier. So, um, anyway, best of luck with the new book. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the interview. And anytime you want to do it again, I'm in. Thanks. Yes, sir. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you tuning in. Y'all take care. 
Lee Perkins here, and I want to thank you so much for tuning into the show today. If you like our podcast, we would be honored if you would share the show with others. And one great way to do that is by posting the show to your social media pages or by just telling others about it. Either way, we would really appreciate it. And of course, if you do enjoy the show, we would appreciate it if you would give us a five-star review. And this certainly helps other people like you find our show. And if you want to learn a little more about our firm and how we help people have the best retirement they can possibly have, go check us out at www.myretirementclarity.com. There are a lot of great resources that you can access directly on the website. And of course, if you want to have a conversation with me, you can visit www.talkwithlee.com. And this will take you directly to my calendar. And there you can schedule a 15-minute phone call so I can learn a little bit more about your situation. Of course, everybody is not a great fit for our firm, but if I think we can add value and put you in a better situation, I'll let you know and we can certainly talk about the next steps. So thanks again for tuning into the show and we'll catch you next time. Investment advisory services are offered by JL Perkins Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor and insurance agency. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, legal, or investment advice. Always consult with a qualified tax, legal, or investment professional before taking any action.